We've qualified for the World Cup. Go and compete. <laughs> Very warm welcome this Monday evening to Capital Sports 2.0. It's a very rainy, stormy and kind of humid Moscow. So from the depths of Moscow and the heat of the swamp here, we're going to go to the swamp that is Manchester and Manchester sports and to Andrew Flint. Andrew, um, okay, you have two minutes to tell us all we need to know about Manchester City. Okay, I'll wipe wipe a smile off my face because it is a very, very serious matter, as we know. Um, So today, the big announcement in the world of football and, well, one of the big announcements in the world of sport, the Court of Arbitration for Sport has overturned UEFA's ruling, which had banned Manchester City for two years from European competition and had also given them a £30 million fine. uh, And it is wiped out the ban from European competition and reduced the fine to 10 million euros. So the the reason this all started off was from years ago when there was an investigation into the amount of spending they had and Manchester City were fined in 2014, I believe it was, 49 million pounds. And they were only allowed 21 players in their European squad for a season. Um, But that, that was all there was to it at the time. And De Spiegel, two years ago, leaked emails uh, reporting to basically explain that Manchester City had inflated the value of some of their financial deals to be able to comply with financial fair play regulations. And it seems that the two main reasons why this CAS ruling has overturned the ban is firstly that the evidence is not complete They said in their statement there is some evidence, but it's not complete. And also that a lot of the evidence has been time-lapsed. In other words, it's over five years ago. Therefore, under UEFA's regulations, and I've been told by my colleagues at Forbes that this is common in a lot of areas, and Esau will be able to give more insight into the legal side of this. But after five years, evidence is not admissible in this particular instance. So Manchester United are back in Europe. Um, with a 10 euro fine and CAS have critically said in a statement we do not believe that they have inflated the value of their financial accounts that they've um, declared to us which was the crux of the whole case. Okay so this basically goes to show the warning that uh, Arsene Wenger made I think it was six years ago that when clubs have more money than federations that clubs will win every single time. He did warn that was going to happen with FFP and he has sadly proved to be correct. Um, Isolt, uh, some interesting breaking news this past weekend or this weekend. Revelations that British athletes in 2012 are doping and brought to us by people who were telling us that they weren't doping and attacking those of us who did say that British athletes were doping, that we had proof but now they have other proof, but they haven't named any athletes. Everyone's outraged by it. So tell us, what were they doing and what is a ketone? Let's start from the beginning. Um, well, it's always interesting when you get to say something is breaking news when it relates to 2012. But for some reason, the English media 
managed to know absolutely nothing despite all the contacts they would have with the 91, this isn't one or two athletes, 91 athletes who were taking um, basically ketones are a nutritional supplement. The idea was that Oxford University was funded, or this is what has come out in the media, uh, was funded to develop a nutritional supplement with the basis that it would ease the need for rations for soldiers, etc. So the idea is it supplements food or dietary products. However, if you or I were given a supplement and told, please take this, and then handed a waiver that basically to the effect of saying, if you fail a doping test, don't come back and ask us about this, and then also handed a non-disclosure agreement, you'd probably ask some questions. I think what this goes to show is there is a culture in UK sport where not only were athletes comfortable with taking a substance without any proper instruction or explanation, they thought it was okay to do that. But this is coming from a culture where we also have therapeutic use exemptions that are de rigueur for the huge number of asthmatics that are across British sports. And we have athletes who don't question what they take. And every time you fill out any of the WADA forms, you are making a declaration as to what you are putting in your body and that you're aware of it. So let's say an athlete fails. Firstly, the waiver is worth absolutely nothing. But more importantly, why are athletes not questioning this? And for those of us who, if we were to look at other countries in the world, how they would be punished, they would, they would be literally banned from competitions. And yet the English are making it sound like this is a bit sensational, but it's okay. It was just ketones. That's not the point. What is wrong with the culture that they took it in the first place? This was one where, same as in Russia, where we had state sponsored, which because the state sponsors everything here because they dish out the money from the, the Ministry of Sport. This is uh, state sponsored. State it, let, let's just be clear. Not only is it state sponsored, this, the funding of their being on that test of the product actually came from the British coffers. So the state literally paid for it. Okay. It wasn't just UK sport. It was their funding, which was state sourced. Okay, so there. Okay, so we've got a parallel with Russia. So hopefully we'll see justice. Uh, well, no, we won't see justice done. We won't lie to ourselves. We won't lie to our listeners. Okay, thank you, Easel. Uh, double N. I'm coming to you because you have Central Asian news. A few more uh, COVID cases. Some leagues are off on a wee bit of a break because of the hot summer, and also two football people in Russia in trouble. Exactly. Thank you, Alan. So good evening, all. Um, yeah, as you said, there were some um, confirmed cases in one of the Central Asian countries, which used to have zero cases so far. But yeah, yesterday something changed. But uh, it hasn't uh, like affected the league so far because it's officially on the break right now. It's going to resume on, on August 25th, I think. Yeah, and the Super Cup is going to is going to be three days before that. So. Um, and as you know, uh, Tajikistan League is also on the break. Because it's a little bit shorter. So far, Istiklal is on the first spot with 33 points. In Turkmenistan, we have Altinasir, who who is going to play a hal in Super uh, Super Cup on August 22nd, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, we have uh, news circulated that Kurban Berdiv was spotted at the Sochi Spartak game. It's unclear why he was present there on the match, but um, there are some rumors that he might be taking charge of 
one of the teams, yeah. but it's not confirmed yet. And as you mentioned before, there were some, uh, how to say, difficult situations with some people in here in Russia. As you know, Kiknaza, the CEO of Lokomotiv, he, uh, after the game with Ufa, he showed like his middle finger to the spectators, his own, like the fans of Lokomotiv. And after that, my reporters asked him if that was okay. He said like, yeah, I understand that it was a bad sign. I understand what it means, but you should have heard what they said. So he was referring to the fans. Yeah. But we weren't there, so we yeah. cannot judge. Before my time ends, as you know, um, uh, Carpin, who is uh, uh, the manager of Rostov, he has some problems as well with the Russian Premier League. He called some actions filthy and mean, like if you translate them to English. <laughs> and uh, there, is a, yeah, there is a commission which is going to be held to act on his like, words and etc. But he still he doesn't agree that he said something like bad or inappropriate. Yeah, let's see how it, how it ends up. Yeah, look, I want to ask you one thing, Nazar. I mean, you've been there with me in the stadium and you've been standing, you know, close with the, the supporters over to our left when we're doing our shows. Do you, do you, like, I mean, the fans can be very nasty and they were saying nasty things to Kik Nadze, the general director of, or CEO of Lokomotiv. Do you think that the fact that they're cursing and swearing and calling him all these names, like that he's a filthy homosexual and so on and so forth, do you think it's bad that he turned around and showed the middle finger? Yeah, I think it's not it's not the right thing because as one guy said, when people throw dirt at you, the first thing if you wanna throw dirt at them, the first thing that you do is you're like making your own hand like dirty. He shouldn't have reacted that way, uh -huh. in my opinion. So yeah, it's debatable how he should have behaved, but yeah, it's just my opinion. So Pandy's getting twisted by all these journalists going, Oh, how horrible that is and I'm listening to these guys who are either fans of Spartak or Loco, and when they're supporting their team, in the press box, of course, the language and abuse out of them is just unbelievable. And then these fans who think that they're like, oh my God, are they going to be bursting out in tears because they left on the 20th minute and the head of the club gives them the finger? I don't know. I, I, I agree with Nazar insofar. No, I agree with you completely that he shouldn't have done it. Um, I just think that these kind of like, like oh, who will think of the children kind of reactions just... I don't be on me. An unfortunate death that you actually mentioned into our group earlier on today. Uh, a nothing, or sorry, a Spurs player's brother was killed. Um, when you get reports like this in the world we live in, you have to be very careful to know what is genuine, what is not. But it turns out it's, it's been confirmed. Christophe Aurier, um, Serge Aurier's brother, younger brother, also a footballer in France, was shot in the stomach. Um, outside a nightclub in Toulouse, and he died later in hospital of, of his injuries. It's, it's a shocking, shocking news. He, he was, a, he was a, an amateur footballer. He wasn't, he never really um, went anywhere with his career, but, you know, I, to be shot outside a nightclub like that, you don't expect, it's a shocking thing to hear because it's, you, you never, you don't expect it to come about, but this is what's happened. And, um, what Serge Aurier himself will do now, he'll be given, I'm sure, some time to, um, spend with his family, hope so. Um, but yeah, that's that was last night. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, another death, of course, uh, occurred this past weekend. Uh, Isol one that touched a lot of us. Now you're still a young lassie, so you probably wouldn't have remembered the full impact of Jack Charlton. But 85 years of age, um, good long innings, terrific person, and it's hard to believe that he actually 
retired or he, he, he left the Irish job when he's only 58. He always seemed like he was in his 70s. Um, first of all, what's the reaction been like and what are your memories of Big Jack? Well, nicely done with the flattering compliment as to my age. I know I've had my hair dyed since the hairdressers reopened so you can't see the grey, but Jack was an integral part of my childhood. I think I was actually convinced he was a family member because that's the kind of esteem he was held in in Ireland. I think the reaction here has been, not only has it been really wonderful to see that kind of unity across all aspects of society, kind of coming out of the COVID lockdown, we had obviously the president came out and uh, shared some comments about Big Jack, as he referred to him. Um, three of the main political leaders have commented on how he was everyone's favourite Englishman, which is more than true. And it's been great to hear some of the people he worked with giving their stories about him. And I think it's just lovely to see that there's kind of a sense of a real admiration for a person who came in. And I suppose I heard the comment made today that Jack came in at a time when Ireland would have been coming out of the throes of recession and a bad time for our economy. And he actually had, in the light of the current climate, a hugely diverse panel of people. And there was a sense that like the grandmother rule kind of became a thing during Jack Charlton's era where all these diaspora started to come back. It's just, it's nice to see a country when they're talking about someone who's died, there's no negative side to it. That No one has suddenly gone, well, actually he was an awful. There's a, a genuine sense of an across the board upset, but gratitude to someone who really did mean a huge amount to a generation. Like there's a generation that can't hear a certain song, which I won't mention without bursting into song. And like the phrase, put them under pressure, has a different meaning in Ireland than it will anywhere else in the world. So it's been an, an unusual few days after all the negativity of the last few months. And I think you contrast that with, there's more of a celebration of life with someone like Jack Charlton, where obviously for his family, it's a very deeply upsetting time, but there's that celebration of life compared with when you hear about the likes of Oreo's brother, it's a tragic death. And yeah. there's not going to be that level of private grief and public celebration. It'll be the other way around. It'll yes, be yeah. public looking into it and their grief will actually have to be on display to an extent. So I, I really think you should get team music for the show and just have put them under pressure on every single week from now on. But yeah. that's just me. <laughs> yeah, this, I, I interviewed yesterday for uh, this Sunday's game, the GG podcast, um, uh, a young lassie called Saoirse McCarthy from County Cork and she's a camogie player 19 years of age and she said the morning before Saturday morning she was at training with her club uh, club not county so she made sure it says club not county because you're not allowed to train to county until the 14th of September so we're very clear there and she she said that the coach the manager said like you know when you're doing you had to put them under pressure and she said in her head she heard put him under pressure. She heard it in the Jack Charlton accent. We all do it. And it's that thing that I remember standing just before my birthday, 1987, looking in a shop window in Crumlin Shopping Centre, looking at uh, Bulgaria, Scotland, Scotland playing in Bulgaria. And Gary McCoy scoring a goal, missed a goal, wet, mucky day, and it just flicked off his shin. And there was only me and maybe one other man there. That's, and he's like, oh, that's great. I think now we qualify. I think we're going to the Euros. And I was like, that's great. I went back to my mom and dad who were sitting in the restaurant because I wanted to see the game. And I went back to the restaurant where I was sitting down with my brother and sister. And I was like, Ireland just won. And my dad's like, right, grand. 
And my dad's a huge sports fan, huge football fan. I was like, we've qualified for the Euros, that's fine. There was no interest. There was no, suddenly it started growing into 88. We're in going to Europe. I was doing my, my intercert. We beat England on the Saturday, I think it was. On the Monday we came in to start our, our intercert, like our, our O-levels. My God, the crack. We started singing, going crazy. Like, come on, you boys in green. Come on, you boys in green. Non-stop, Ireland, Ireland. For about a good 10 minutes. And the invigilators, the heads of the exams, were just standing there smiling and just kind of, because it's all the leaving cert and inter <coughs> junior cert now. We're all, like, literally, a riot's going to take place. And then at the very end, it's like, okay, boys, we'll add on an extra 10 minutes to the end of the exam. <laughs> but this, was the, this will never, ever, ever, ever happen again. Never. It's impossible. We can't. The only thing I can appropriate it with is when Russia beat Spain in two years ago in the World Cup. In Russia, there was that kind of, you, like, people were happy, but still, Still, because it's such a huge country and so on and so forth, it's, there were a lot of people who were kind of begrudged it, but people still got into the flow of it. But in 1988, 1990, 1994, uh, as you I, said, you if, if think about one, like I was in Germany this time last year, actually it's a little over a year ago, and we were with, out for dinner with people and one of the women at our table was from Stuttgart. And I had to explain the history of Ireland going to Stuttgart. There being a song written about it. And us celebrating 1-0 victory over England that didn't get us anywhere. And she was like, okay. So I explained the entire story to the poor German woman. And then at the end of it, she asked what happened with these people. Because I played the song as well, got out my phone. And I was like, I can't explain to you how much that era of football means to Irish people not because it's football just because it's that era I mean honestly I like I was at a I was at a 30 year celebration of Ray School. <laughs> we celebrated that I mean honestly I just I, I have to say this for me sums it up I've never seen two people just so almost unable to stop pouring forth pure joy if that isn't a celebration of something worth celebrating, I don't know what is. And to say that this is an Englishman who has done this, pure, unadulterated, unquestioning adoration, it's just, I'll be honest, this is a great tribute. I really genuinely is. I love the, I love the, the, the quixotic nature of explaining to a German woman why Stuttgart, for a meaningless result, actually matters. That matters more than anything else i love it look that was like us winning our own war yeah it was it was it was and you know what the whole thing was people people love to build up this thing of like oh and we scored early and then we defended the rest of the time no we hit the crossbar we hit the post we had a few chances england had about three four chances but it wasn't it was a very even... We were all seeing novenas. And yeah. to be fair, it was a very, very strong England side. Two years later, at the uh, Italian night, it was arguably scores. the best England yeah. side in yeah. 30 years. Yeah, and listen, so, Andrew, I, I, could, I could honestly say, everybody, no one gave Ireland a chance, honestly, because when you listen to the pundits, even around, well, we'll do our best, we'll, 
and and the whole thing was that we're going to go there, we'll inflict our game on people, which is very good. We're going to put them under pressure. We're, and the whole idea was it encapsulated the it encapsulated our vision of sport. It's like Barry McGuigan, um, Barry McGuigan, uh, Wayne McCullen, our boxers, GAA. In GAA, you're not going to play for a draw. Well, sometimes Tyrone do, but they're shite. But like basically, <laughs> they are. But basically, you, you, even when you're losing a match, you're down 20 points. You're just going, like, come on, just get something on the board. There isn't kind of, you won't the, tipper, the Tipperary expression, drive it. Like, drive the ball yeah. down there. You'll do something with exactly. it. Exactly. You won't give up. You'll do something. Exactly. And, you, and, you, and, you be, and our whole Force team, the ball down. Exactly. At the very end of a match, what do you do? You need a goal to win. What are you going to do? Drop it around the edge of the square. Drop it around the edge of the square. Drop the ball in in front of the goalkeeper and pull hard or punch hard or kick. This, this what Jack Charlton And that did. mentality is why Irish people can't leave before the end of a match. Yes. Because you never know what you'll miss. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I love that. It's a thing that, you know, sorry, Nazar, you're sitting there quietly <laughs> and you're going, oh, Jesus, please help me. Or Allah, help me, please. <laughs> Uh, I know this. I'm sorry, Nazar. I'm going to say this last little thing, and then I'll move on very, very quickly because we are going to run out of time. Um, that for me, that we call Route One or Long Ball. That to me is the ultimate attacking football. Get the ball quickly under the front of the pitch, push up, put them under pressure. When they attack, you pull back, and you like your defence starts. As we always say in Ireland, the first line defence is your corner forward. The very the, the person up by their goalkeeper, they start defending. And then you win the ball back, put it back up there and go. To hell with this tiki-taka crap. I don't want to see 50 passes to a goal. I want to see my keeper punt it down to a big man on the edge of the box. He breaks it down ahead and some little fellow like me can just like slap the ball to the back of the net. That's what I want. I don't want fancy damn football. I want the ball down the end of their field and you want fellas scrapping who are like literally at the end of the match. I always say to my players, it doesn't matter... Dean Russell last year in the World Games. I'm like, listen, I don't want you just walking out the field thinking or saying, oh, we could have done something. We, we, we still have loads of energy. I want you to crawl out the field, you know, covered in blood. Your blood, their blood doesn't make a difference. And just, Nazar knows this, he's trained with me. And uh, you yeah. just give everything. And at that, I'm going to move across to Double N very quickly. Double N, listen, question to you. Um, who do you think Berdeyev should go to? And uh, who would you like him to go to? Uh, come again, Alan. Uh, who do you think uh, Berdeyev should go to? Because this is a coach who deserves a really good team. Who should he go to? Yeah. Um, it, he was linked with Spartak, I think, before. So uh, I suspect that they consider them now, him now, again. And I think that he can shine. He can, he can shine in Spartak. He can show t- total different football. It's what I, it's what I hope. Uh, we know that he is kind of more of defensive uh, coach, but defensive style. But I think with Spartak, with his resources, with his players, and all the possibilities, he can find. And we can see Spartak. If he goes to Sochi, yeah, we will see success of Sochi club uh, with Gazprom sponsorships and stuff like that. Yeah, but I think, in my opinion, it will be better if he goes to Spartak. Yeah, and I agree with that because especially now they've, they've fired their German uh, sports director, Thomas Zorn. I think it's about time they did that. I think no matter what, he did some good things for the club, but I think he's, he, he wasn't quite strong enough to, to handle a club like Spartak. So, yeah, I, 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 uh, the sport director in from UFA, 
that could be a big, big case. Now. So, okay, Dublin, thank you. Dublin, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to ask you uh, a, a final question for the evening as I round it all up. When you were a, a wee lad growing up in Turkmenistan, who was your sporting idol and why? I think it was Henry, Thierry Henry. Uh, I was from my school times. I was supporting Arsenal. I don't know, like, as you said, he wasn't all about his tiki-taka stuff. And so, like, he got the goal, he pushed it, and he scored goals. You know, he was like a machine, you know, as you say. Like, he was giving his 100%, and we know, like, the best of Arsenal times. Like, he was there, he was at the top. He was, like, I, I, I cannot see this kind of uh, striker nowadays, like, with caliber that he was. And apart from that, I know that his personal uh, character is also strong. So, yeah, that's why I, he was my, like, idol. I wanted to be like him when I played football. Okay. No, listen, I th- again, as a football player, I mean, when you see him when he's in full flow playing for Arsenal, when he was, just, you know, first for Arsenal, just unbelievably good player, just terrific. Just people couldn't seem to get a tackle in on him. He's, he just ran past him. He wasn't fast, but he just kept moving past him. Okay, Isil, love to you. Um, how much of an asshole do you think Thierry Henry is? <laughs> Thierry Henry and the handball. We've gone from a high in Irish football with Jack Charlton straight to Thierry Henry. It's almost cruel on Jack Charlton <laughs> to do something like that. That's Nazar. No. Nazar did that. <laughs> he set it up. <laughs> However, he, he does very well as a car advertisement person. <laughs> All That's right. my biggest compliment to Thierry. I also support <laughs> Spurs, so you can imagine how I feel about him. <laughs> now, Zara, you just you, you you upset Spurs fans and Irish fans with just one person. <laughs> it wouldn't be Capital Sports 2.0 if we didn't offend at least one entire nation. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we still love Nazar. He's a Gaelic footballer and he's a registered Gaelic footballer as well. So, uh, Andrew, um, final question for you. Uh, Zenit win the league. Uh, as we knew they would. Um, do you think that there's going to be much change at the top? Will Semak stay? And do you think that now Zenit will have a chance to progress in Europe next year? Um, I think they are uh, probably the best state they've been in for three or four years since they had Axel Witzel, Hulk and the like of that. Um, we've seen, I think, rather amusingly rumours of Dejan Lovren being linked to Zenit. Um, although today Liverpool did say they are looking at extending his contract, so I'm not sure if that will happen. But the balance of that side, they need to sort out defence because Branislav Ivanovic is now 36. If they can do that, they have a, an extremely well-balanced side and, more importantly, they have options to change their setup. They usually play with two up front, but they have enough wide players to, to change tactics and therefore, which is crucial in Europe, I think they could have very strong hopes of challenging to get out of a Champions League group, which is long, long overdue for Russian clubs. So I'd be very positive if I was in their shoes. Excellent. Okay. And on that positive note, we will end off today's show. Thank you, Double N. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Wieselt. Thank you very much. And thank you, Andrew Flint. Thank you very much, Okay, so we'll go away. We'll be back at the end of the week. Until then, take care and uh, keep it sporting. We've qualified for the World Cup. Go and compete.
put him under pressure. The game is about being effective, being aggressive, winning the ball, getting on with the play. We'll put him under pressure. Thank you.